After that song, let's just pray. Praise your name, Father, for all that you have done for us. Praise you for your presence here with us this morning. 
And we pray, God, that you will move in a powerful way to make us know you more plainly and more fully. And, Father, that if there are those who don't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, may they be able today to praise your holy name as they come into a personal relationship with Jesus. Bless the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so glad to have everybody who's here this morning. So glad to have you uh, with us there online. Uh, You can see all the different platforms uh, that you can find us there. Be sure to uh, share those with others. If you need one of these cards, we do have some new ones printed uh, with the new information on it. Uh, We don't have our our phone live streaming number on the card or on the screen right now. Uh, We're trying to hold that a little bit closer uh, where we can uh, not get charged for some extra calls that we were receiving. So uh, be sure to share that. Call the church office if you need that. number we'll be glad to give it to you you can share it uh, with anybody also personally Uh, so just wanted to share that with you if you're there at home go to our church website highlandbaptistchurch.com it's on the website there that you can go to the info tab download the worship bulletin the children's worship bulletins if you're here in person they're over here uh, on the far right side here my right side your left side in the windowsill there so be sure to pick those up Uh, the ushers will be glad to give you one of the bulletins uh, and you can also get one of our prayer lists uh, if you're here in person today they're in the hallway back here online you can get those under the info tab also but uh, we've got a wonderful day uh, today to worship the lord i got a wonderful day that we're looking forward to next sunday also i had a great day yesterday we'll say a little bit more uh, about that in just a moment but brother mike if you'll come morning psalms 145.3 says great is the lord and most worthy of praise So why don't you stand with us this morning? We're going to sing Great is the Lord and join the choir as we sing number 12 or hymn number 12.
morning for our Missionary of the Week. You'll find that our Missionary of the Week is different from what is in your bulletin, but our Annie Armstrong Easter offering goes to support each one of those missionaries. This is Brianna McKinney uh, on the picture that you see here. Uh, she is serving in Denver, Colorado, and we just want to share a brief video testimony from her about the work there as you pray about giving towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Denver is such a beautiful place, but it's a very lonely place. People are just looking for community. There is one marijuana dispensary for every 2,000 people, one brewery for every 7,000, and one evangelical church for every 32,000 people. And the Lord has just like softened my heart to that, and I'm like, I have to go. A journeyman is a recently graduated college student who then serves for two years in a city to help support the church plant that needs help um, and needs more resources to further their mission. And so my biggest thing as journeymen is relationships, taking time to hear someone's story and hear what needs they have and just like be friends with them without a hidden agenda. Like with PlaceBridge Academy, which is a refugee magnet school, there was people praying that there would be strong believers come into that community and reach them. We actually found out that one of their community directors there at the school is a believer, and she was the door into letting us come in and serve their community. We are reaching 40 different countries in one place. There is so much work to be done and so few laborers to help do it. Like that's why I pour my heart and soul into these mission teams. They can just like catch a little bit of vision of what's going on here so more of them will come. I feel like it was just yesterday that I was a college student and I gave God this blank check and truly gave up control. And he's brought me here. And so do be praying about giving towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, those statistics are staggering that one for every 2,000 people they have a marijuana dispensary uh, and for every 7,000 people they have a brewery, but for every 32,000 they have one evangelical church. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done all around North America, and the mission offering that you give goes to support and to help those missionaries through our association even. In addition to this offering, we are supporting three of those uh, journeymen uh, that will be serving this year. Uh, some will be actually international. Some will be uh, here in the States. And so we just want to pray for each and every one uh, of those missionaries. Let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What a blessing it is, again, to be in your presence. And Father, I just pray that as we uplift these missionaries, especially Brandon McKinney serving there in Denver, Father, I pray that with those staggering statistics that we've heard there, as well as we see all around us too here, there are many people, Lord, who are lost, who need Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And I pray that you'll bless our missionaries, uh, protect them, keep them safe, open the doors of opportunity for them to share the gospel like never before, give them the boldness uh, to go forth and show 
show them avenues and opportunities that maybe they hadn't seen before. And Father, we just ask your special blessings upon them and upon us, Lord, that we might be a blessing to them through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Lord, lay upon our hearts uh, to give to this offering, uh, that we might support those missionaries who are serving all across North America. And Father, I just praise your name and thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do through our missionaries and through those that we'll be even supporting through our association, our mission teams that will be going to Canada this year. Father, we just pray for your will to be done, for your name to be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, again, just want to remind you a couple of other things. Uh, some is in your bulletin, but not all the details. If you are planning to come to Prime Timers, be sure to sign up on the sheet out here in the hallway. This is the last day before Tuesday. Uh, that'll be at 1230 uh, till whenever we dismiss or leave from there. Uh, it will be down here at the at the ministry center at the Annex One building. So just want to encourage you to, to join us down there at 1230 for our Prime Timers group. And then also, if you helped yesterday in any way, uh, maybe even then leading up to yesterday uh, for our Easter egg hunt, would you just stand for just a moment? Amen. Let's give these people a hand. We had well over 100 children, 218 people uh, total, plus our workers, uh, so almost, almost 250 people uh, that were here yesterday. Uh, lots of opportunities that we shared the gospel uh, with those families, and so you just pray that those seeds that were planted uh, will continue to grow in their hearts and that people will give their hearts and life to Christ and that those kids especially will continue to, to follow and to hear the gospel. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Join us next as we sing hymn 282. And for those of you that don't want to sing from the book, the words are on the screen. So let's sing Living for Jesus 282. Ladies.
Now, if you all would stand and sing with us hymn number four, To God Be the Glory. Ladies.
Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to John's Gospel as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. Uh, I don't know if there's any more of those books left. If you would like one, let us know. We'll see if we have any. Uh, there may be a couple on the table uh, out there uh, in the hallway that way. But John chapter 5, we're in that second, I believe, chapter, maybe third, uh, in that book, in the time frame there that you can follow through. So I encourage you to take the time to look uh, there and to read there each week uh, as you're preparing for uh, the services. But John chapter 5 and verse 19 is where we're going to begin. We're just going to look at the first uh, few verses here uh, as we look at this message that I've entitled Facing the Consequences. You ever had to face the consequences? All you got to do is ask my mama. <laughs> I had to face the consequences many times, and I'm sure you did uh, also. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word and find out what facing the consequences means here in these verses in John 5 and verse 19 and following. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives uh, them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, take your word and use it in our hearts and our lives. Lord, if there are those who are here who don't know Christ, use this to stir their hearts, uh, Lord, to a faithful relationship with Christ. If there are those who already have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, use this passage, Lord, to strengthen us in our faith and to be able to give an answer and a reason of the hope that we have within us. And so, Father, I pray that your will will be done, your name will be glorified and honored through these verses. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. And you be seated. Now understand this, what we're not saying in the title there is that Jesus was facing consequences. It's those who were attacking Jesus, those who were accusing Jesus of things that we're going to find out uh, were, were the ones who are going to be facing the consequences. You know, sin always has unintended consequences. I had read a story that happened back in 1991. That seems like forever uh, ago. Uh, it was, but it was about a 14-year-old boy who was in Seattle, Washington, and he was trying to steal some gasoline from a motorhome. Uh, he attached the siphoning hose to the vehicle. He started the work. Uh, but a while later, after the police had gotten a call, they found him shortly after in agony on the street next to a car. Seems he had attached the hose not to the gasoline tank, but to the motorhome's sewage tank. <laughs> the owner declined to press charges. He said he was too busy laughing. <laughs> there are consequences for our actions. And sometimes... We think because maybe I didn't face consequences right that moment when I did something that I know was wrong means that I got away with it and there'll be no consequences for me. You know, facing the consequences of our sins, it really is no laughing matter. Some people think that when they confess their sins 
to God that he just dismisses the consequences. But that's not always the case. Uh, He does forgive the guilt. He forgives freely. But sometimes the consequences remain. And so in these passages here, we're going to see that Jesus is going to point out to these religious leaders that we read about last week, uh, he's going to point out to them the consequences of them not believing in who Jesus is. So before we get to those consequences, though, that they have to face, I want us to take a look at what Jesus has to say first as he lays out the foundation, gives his reasoning and his argument for why they and why we have to face consequences. And so uh, the first thing I want you to see this morning is this, is that we answer to a higher authority. We answer to a higher authority. Verse 19 and following there, Jesus tells us that Jesus is the authority that stems, uh, and that authority stems from his deity. Uh, And his authority demands our obedience. In the first part of chapter 5, Jesus had revealed himself as Lord. You remember, he's been doing miracle after miracle after miracle in, in, the, in the Gospels that we've been looking at thus far and trying to follow as best we can a chronological timeline here. And his words and his works, those miracles, have been showing his power, giving testimony to the authenticity of who he is and his authority. And so because of his authority, there is a claim on our lives to obey him. And so in these first verses we're going to look at, in verse 19 down to verse 29, we see that Jesus' authority stems from his deity and authority demands obedience. Understand what these religious leaders wanted to do. They wanted to kill Jesus. Go back, if you will. This won't be on your screen, but there in your Bibles to verse 18. He's, he's done these miracles here, healing at the pool uh, there that we talked about before in, in chapter 5. And we come to verse 18 and it says, he had just said in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. And then verse 18, he, it says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so their response was wrong. And their understanding of Jesus' statement, uh, though, was not. Jesus was revealing himself as God. What they said he was doing, he in fact was doing. He was professing himself to be equal with God. And that's the basis for his authority. So understand this, that Jesus stresses his deity by describing this unity with the Father in these verses. Because once we see who he is in all of his glory and all of his splendor, that he is, Jesus is God, then his authority over us becomes obvious. And Jesus reveals that authority in three ways that I want you to see in this section of verses. One way I want you to see this is that Jesus does what only God can do. Now understand this, what he said there in verse 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. 
He doesn't do anything on his own. Everything he does works perfectly in concert with the Father's work and the Father's will. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So uh, let me put that kind of, if you will, in our own uh, vernacular today. Uh, Jesus isn't uh, trying to make a name for himself. Uh, he, he's not a... a, a, a a trust fund baby, if you will, uh, trying to distance himself from the father. He's not the firstborn trying to outdo his dad. He's not a second God come to steal the worship and the adoration uh, that belongs only to the true God. He is the true God. He and the father are one. They're not separate. They're one. So to worship God is to worship Jesus. And to worship Jesus is to worship God. So remember uh, the, the defense, uh, his defense for working on the Sabbath back in verse 17 there, uh, that if the Father has authority to work on the Sabbath, then so do I as well. So Jesus is making a very clear statement here of his authority and his deity by revealing his ability to do works that only God could do. There was no other way to explain all these miracles that we've been seeing. People who were lame rising up to walk. People who were deaf being able to hear. Uh, people who were laying on their deathbed, rising them up to, to new life. Uh, all of that was because he is God. He was doing only things that God could do. And so he has the authority to give a person life. That's what he goes on to say down in verse 21. He says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. He has also, because of that, the authority to judge men. And that's what verse 22 says. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. And so those two characteristics are unique to God. So if Jesus has the authority to do those things, to give life and to judge us, then he must be God. Maybe someone else could heal a person but Jesus will do a far greater work. He'll raise the dead to life. There was nobody else who did anything like that. When he does, uh, when he does so, uh, those opposed to him uh, will marvel. That's what verse uh, 20 was saying there. Uh, that he, he did all these greater works and he says, For the Father loves the Son, shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus is saying, you saw me heal a lame man, but you just explained it away. You, you tried to say it, it wasn't uh, of the power of God. It must have been of the devil that he did this. Why did they want to do that? Because if Jesus was performing a miracle and was doing only what God could do, then that meant that Jesus should have authority over them. And what they were saying is we want nothing of Jesus having authority over us. So what Jesus was saying was, what are you going to say when I raise somebody from the dead? I mean, you say that when I raise somebody who's lame, what are you going to say when I raise somebody from the dead? How are you going to explain that one? Uh, how will you avoid the clear, clear conclusion that I am God and you have to obey me? The second thing in this section we want to see is that Jesus receives honor only God deserves. So not only does he only do what God can do, he receives honor only God deserves. So look, if you will, at verse 23 and verse 24. 
So notice what it says here. This begins to lay out this rock-solid evidence here that Jesus is God. So verse 23 says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So uh, listen to what God says in Isaiah 48, verse 11. My glory I will not give to another. And that's why these Jewish people were standing so firm, because Jesus in his actions and in his words, was professing to be one and the same equal with God. He was God in the flesh. And so if the Bible says in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 48, verse 11, I will not give my glory to another, then how does Jesus think he should receive all this glory? Notice God says that he won't give his glory or his honor to somebody else, yet he does give it to Jesus because he is God. That's what verse 23 uh, talks about there. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he says it's both the same. If you honor God, you're honoring the Son. If you honor the Son, you're honoring God. And so since the Father and the Son are one, if you reject the Son, then you are rejecting the Father. You can't have it both ways. And there are so many today who, who want to have things both ways. And, and so Jesus, what we see here, is he is tying his authority directly to the authority of God himself. It's as if he's, he's looking square in the eyes of these religious leaders and he's saying to them, you can't honor God if you don't honor me. Your lives, your very lives, because you're the religious leaders, are supposed to be the model of obedience and submission to God. But if you don't submit to my authority, you're in absolute rebellion against God. You see, we live in a world today that promotes equality of all religions. God's word is clear. Any system of worship that doesn't honor Jesus Christ as the one true God is from hell. It's a lie from Satan. And one of the ways that Satan is, a try, is trying to attack the deity of Jesus Christ is, is through the idea that we see today so often of, of religious tolerance. But understand it's, it's not, that it's not really tolerance that's wanted. True tolerance says all people have the right to choose what to believe. And we as Christians, we gladly support that type of tolerance. We don't want to force anyone. We don't want to coerce anyone to become a Christian. And we know it's impossible for us to do that anyway. That's a decision that happens in the heart. We have always been on the front lines in our fight for religious liberty. We believe people should have the right to believe whatever they choose, even if whatever they choose to believe isn't true. And so the, the, the religion of tolerance, though, has a completely different agenda. It says that we have to affirm that all religions are truly equal. 
That's not tolerance. That's an entirely different system uh, of worship, all to, uh, of religion altogether. And, and so Satan pushes that religion of tolerance because it undermines the worship of Jesus as the one true and living God. And so even though we believe that every person has the right to believe whatever they want, we also believe that there's only one thing that is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by him. We believe that from the scripture. So only the true God is worthy of worship, and the only way to worship him is through his son, Jesus Christ. So what does submission to God look like? Well, it begins by following Jesus' instructions to believe him. That's what verse 24 was saying. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So any talk of obeying God, anytime we talk about following God or pleasing him, is empty and meaningless until we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So in other words, it's easy to think about Jesus as saying things like, I really respect him. He was a good man. I think he's pretty cool. Some say he, 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 he did really good things. I mean, think about those statements from God's perspective. Think about this. God made you, but you rebelled against him because you were in sin. And so instead of punishing you, he, he put a plan into motion to rescue you. Think about that. The Bible tells us we were enemies of God. And yet God loved us while we were yet enemies. And he began a plan to rescue us. That plan required for his son to be born as a man, to live a perfect, sinless life, and then to die a horrible death so that you could be forgiven, so you could be freed. And you hear all this and you think, wow, I respect Jesus. God didn't send his son to die so you would respect him. He sent his son to die so that you'd throw yourself at his feet and ask him to rescue you. So understand, God is not after your respect. God's after you. He says anything short of coming in faith to Jesus Christ to save you amounts to disrespect. And so the only way to honor God is to embrace the free gift of mercy and forgiveness that Jesus paid for you on the cross. Here's the third thing in this section I want you to see, that Jesus has power that only God can claim. Jesus has power that only God can claim. Look at verse 25, if you will, with me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And as he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus has authority over all men and their eternal destiny. He is the giver of salvation. And his salvation has two perspectives. In, in verse five, 25 there, it, that's the current perspective, that right now Jesus is giving life to those who are spiritually dead. All you have to do is to receive the free gift of salvation. 
right now. That's in the present. But then when you go on and read here in verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It's yet out there in the future. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so that's the future perspective. That one day, Jesus is going to raise the dead to eternal life. Jesus has that prerogative we see there to give life because he has life in himself. Think about this. If I were to walk into your house and I was to try to take the TV off the wall uh, in your living room and to take it to, give it to give it away, what would you think? You'd probably think, well, you don't got any right to give my TV away. But if I was to walk into my own house and to undo those bolts and those screws and those wires and take my own TV off the wall and give it away, you wouldn't even think twice about it. Why? Because it's mine to give. Jesus has the authority to give life because he is life, because he owns life. And so to whom does he give that life? He gives it to those who are spiritually dead. Every single one of us here, whether you're a believer or not, at least at some point in your life, you are spiritually dead. And when, if you're a believer, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you are made alive in Christ Jesus. If you've never done that yet, he wants to do that for you today. And so he gives life to the spiritually dead. The dead, he says, will hear his voice. So how can the spiritually dead hear and obey Christ's message? Think of it this way. How can a lame man, a man who's lame, take up his bed and walk, in, like in the miracles we've already seen? Only if the one who commands him gives him the power to do that. Apart from Jesus Christ, nobody can choose spiritual life. And so just like the lame man wasn't able to heal himself, we can't heal our own self. And yet when Jesus calls us to life, he instantly makes us alive. Salvation is completely the work of Christ. We trust in that free gift. We receive that free gift. But he transforms the dead sinner into living sons and daughters. And so uh, the, that authority, though, of Jesus goes beyond, though, calling the spiritual dead sinners to life. It also involves bringing the physically dead back to life. That's what verse 28 and verse 29 are talking about. He's talking about the future there. He says, these, he's focusing on the future, and he says that one day the Messiah is going to, the one who has this authority and power, speaking of himself, when Jesus returns, he's going to, he's going to take believers into heaven, and he's going to send unbelievers into hell. And on that day, the grave, those in the grave will hear his voice. And just like Jesus told that man who was lame to get up and to walk, he's going to shout to the grave, get up. And they will. What authority. Jesus is going to call all of us to stand before him and to receive our judgment. And those who have believed in him, those who have submitted to him, to him and his word will receive eternal life. And those who have not will experience eternal judgment. The truth is we have to answer to a higher authority. In verse 30 to verse 39, we see we have 
Jesus lays out for us the witnesses to him being God, to having that authority. So notice in verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He says, you sent to John, you sent messengers to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Heard a story one time about a preacher who was working on a trellis to support a climbing vine as he was hammering away. He noticed this little boy that was watching him. And the boy, he didn't say a word. So the preacher, he kept on working and, and thinking that this little boy would leave. And the preacher was, uh, he was starting to get real puffed up and pleased that somebody was at least admiring uh, his, his work. And finally, he turns to the little boy and says, son, are, are, you, are you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? And the little boy said, no, I'm just waiting to, to hear what the preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. He wanted to be a witness of what the preacher did. You know, we all are a living witness. And Jesus gives us some witnesses here to his deity. In verse 30 to verse 32, Jesus continues that theme that he and the Father are one. And the obvious implication is, as we've seen before, that to oppose Jesus is to oppose God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To rebel against Jesus is to rebel against God. And so Jesus' testimony about himself is very clear. And then at first glance, notice Jesus appears to contradict himself in verse 31. He seems to be saying, I know that I said I was God, but you don't have any reason to believe me. Notice what he said there. He said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Uh, he goes on to say, though, I want, I want to lay out for you these multiple witnesses uh, because in the Old Testament, multiple witnesses were needed uh, for a truth to be established as certain. It couldn't be just one person's word against another person's word. You always had to have at least two or three or more. And, and so this testimony uh, wasn't accepted as true by itself. So Jesus is going to call some witnesses. So the first witness that he calls is John the Baptist. And, and notice what he said there in verse 33 to verse 35 about John the Baptist. John was convinced Jesus is the Messiah. And so at this point, the religious leaders here uh, Jesus is talking with, they know, they've already heard John's message. They heard him when he was preaching out in the wilderness. They know John's witness, but they reject it now. Now, understand, Jesus doesn't let them off the hook that easy. He doesn't say, well, John says this about me, but you've rejected it, so let's just move on. He reminds them that at one time, they listened to John. At one time, they sent messengers out to hear from John. And so to find out what he had to say. In fact, they even liked 
what John had to say for a time. Why? Because John was preaching about the Messiah who was to come. And they were saying, preach it on, John. Yes, we're looking for the Messiah. Yes, we can't wait for him to get here. But then when Jesus came on the scene, they had been all excited about the Messiah. But when Jesus appeared and John pointed to Jesus and said, he's the Messiah, they didn't like that. Because he didn't fit their image of, of so, uh, uh, someone who would come in riding on a white horse ready to overthrow the Roman oppression. Instead, he overthrew the money tables in the temple. Instead, he exposed them for who they really were. And that's when they stopped listening to John. Oh, we ain't listening to John no more. Don't send no messengers out to John anymore. Not because the message changed. Because the message had always been the same. The reason they didn't listen to John anymore is because their comfort level changed. Notice Jesus describes John as a lamp. And a lamp has to be lit. In verse 35, you could even translate that word burning as ignited. Our witness will only be effective if God lights the fire within us. A lamp shows you the path. A lamp guides you in the right direction. The lamp is not the destination. The lamp simply shines the way to something else. It serves a greater purpose. And so a lamp eventually burns out. Now the verbs used here to describe John's ministry are all in the past tense. John has borne witness. He was a lamp. John's life and his ministry served a purpose for a time, but eventually it ended. The point we need to realize is that we're only on this earth for a short time. We're only on this earth for a short time to impact people for Jesus. Notice verse 35 again. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So Jesus reminds them that you were willing to rejoice for a while, but they stopped rejoicing. What does that say about them? That says about them that they weren't genuine believers because genuine believers wouldn't stop rejoicing in the light. Notice the next witness Jesus brings is the works that he did in verse 36. In verse 36 it says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so he's saying, if you don't believe what John had to say, you don't believe his witness, you at least ought to believe the works that you've seen, the miracles that you've seen. There wasn't any natural explanation of Jesus' works. There, they had a, they, they had to be a, there had to be this supernatural cause for those miracles. And so the most obvious explanation and the explanation that the religious leaders ought to arrive at is Jesus is the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah had been taught about in the Old Testament that it would be marked by miracles and signs that could only be attributed to God. In fact, when you read a little bit later in chapter 7 and verse 31, the crowds would understand that Jesus is doing supernatural works. And listen to what it says there. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ, when the Messiah appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
And what they were saying is, what more could the Messiah do? This man has to be the Messiah. It was like as if they were saying, if, a, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Jesus was like, walks like the Messiah, talks like the Messiah, does the works that only the Messiah could do. The only logical conclusion is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. And that's why Jesus performs the miracles that he does. Uh, those miracles aren't solely uh, done because of his compassion for the sick or, or his love for the dying. They were primarily done to point, Jesus, point people to a right understanding of who he is. And then we see another witness, God the Father. You see that in verse 37 through verse 38. He says, you as, you as religious leaders, you Jews, you haven't even seen God. It, you, he says, I know your hearts, you haven't, and I know what you've heard. You haven't even heard God's voice. How could they possibly know, then, what God wants? The only way they can know him is through his revelation to them. God reveals himself to us through his messengers, through his work, through his word. And notice, what does Jesus present as support for his claim as his deity? He presents a prophet, John. He presents these supernatural works, as we're going to see in just a moment. He presents the scriptures. And so in the same way and manner that God reveals himself to all mankind, Jesus reveals his deity to us. And so no doubt that the claims of Jesus is to disregard God's revelation about himself. Just like those religious leaders, what we find out is they really were totally cut off from God. We at one point, if you're a believer, were cut off from God. If you're not a believer and you've never trusted by faith in Christ, you are cut off right now. We don't have any way of knowing who God is and what he wants apart from his revelation to us. So denying the deity of Jesus is to set ourselves up that I'm greater than God is. Is to exalt our opinion over God's. And that's a frightening place to be. The final witness that he gives is the words of Scripture. And that's what he talks about in verse 39. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus acknowledges these religious leaders, they had been serious about studying the Scriptures. They had been diligently searching through the Scriptures. And the Scriptures presented a detailed witness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus mentions the Scriptures here, remember, he's referring to the Old Testament. And so, in many ways, you can boil the teaching of the Old Testament down to two main themes. The first theme is this, is that we are hopelessly rebellious and unable to save ourselves. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in that garden, we all became sinners. Their children were sinners, their grandchildren were sinners, their great-grandchildren were sinners, and so on down through history. Nothing they could ever do would be enough to save themselves from their sin. So apart from God, they had no hope of rescue. So we need to understand that the, one of the messages of the Old Testament is, is that we need to understand that every person is a sinner in need of a Savior. Every single one of us, no matter how good we might seem, we are without hope, separated from God. The second theme that runs throughout all the Old Testament 
is that because of that, God will send a Savior. And so from the moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden, God promised there would be a rescuer. And the Old Testament describes in great detail who this one would be who would come. He was called the promised seed. He was called the lion of Judah. He was called the son of man, the suffering servant, the Passover lamb, the Messiah. The entire Old Testament stands behind the claims of Jesus. Every word is a witness to who he is. It all boils down to this. If Jesus is not God, he could not have paid the penalty for our sin. If Jesus isn't God, we wouldn't be able to have his righteousness in our place. If Jesus isn't God, we would be without hope. That's a scary place to be. But thanks be to God, Jesus is God. And he did pay the price for us. And his righteousness is there for you in all of your filthy rags, in all of your sinfulness. He says, I died for you in your place so that you could have eternal life. Do you have eternal life this morning? Do you know that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior that was sent to die on the cross for your sins. He has all authority. And he has all power to give you that eternal life. But he won't force you. He won't twist your arm behind your back. He loves you too much. He wants you to choose to receive that free gift of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for what Jesus has shown us here in just this, these first two sections of this passage. Father, I pray that as we realize how all too often we find ourselves more like the religious leaders than we do Jesus. We're always seeking to try to find a way that fits our agenda and our lives. We want to make Jesus into a little God that we can stick in a box and pull him out when we want and stuff him back in when we want to do what we want to do. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize from these verses this morning, and if we haven't, to go back and to read through those again and to understand that Jesus is the only one who has authority over our lives. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who paid the price for our sin debt when we could not. So, Father, I pray this morning that there will be those who may be watching online, those who are here in person, who need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they come this morning by faith to trust in him. Lord, there are others who, uh, who are here this morning and, and they've been struggling in their walk with you because they've not seen Jesus truly for who he really is. They've forgotten all of that. And so, Father, I pray that they will be refreshed and renewed and get into your word and, and get into that relationship closer with you more and more each day. Lord, make yourself known to them. Lord, show us our sinfulness that we might confess that before you. Father, there are believers who are here this morning that we know, I know, my own self, Lord, 
that there are thoughts we have, there are things we do that you've commanded we shouldn't do. There are things, Lord, you've told us to do that we have not been obedient to your authority over us. We decided somewhere along the way, I'm going to be the one in charge. I'm going to be the Lord of my life and not you. So, Father, I pray that we will come to that place also of repentance. To cry out to you and ask you, Lord, to forgive us and to lead us to that closer walk with you. Lord, I pray that we will be strengthened in our walk, that as believers we'll be able to share and be able to give an answer more faithfully of who Jesus is and why he is God in the flesh by the witnesses that are there in the word and the witnesses that are all around us in our lives. Bless us, Lord, and may your will be done in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our invitation. As we stand. Laura Miller. Good morning. I just wanted to personally thank everyone who helped with the Easter egg hunt. It was amazing. It was a blessing and an honor to serve. If you missed it, come join us next next year. Um, we had I have a list of over forty people who volunteered and helped this week. So thank you again for your support of our children's ministries. Just a few announcements to go over. Um, please keep uh, Tracy Henderson in your prayers. Um, Rosalie Moore uh, had some breathing uh, complications. Uh, Birdie Davis had some leg issues. Um, keep Jim and Samantha in your prayers. Thursday you're traveling to North Carolina. Had a 50-50 chance of getting the right Carolina. Um, 
parents class with Matt Kohler at 3.30 today. Deacon's meeting is at 4 o'clock. Um, VBS lunch and preview is on April 24th. There's a sign-up sheet right outside in the hallway here on the bulletin board. Um, if you have not ever served in VBS, do it. Um, that'll be the biggest blessing of your life. Uh, it's hard work, it's fast-paced, but you will be blessed beyond belief. Um, and I have permission to embarrass someone today. Uh, we want to recognize someone that is a young lady that has stepped up and served on audio-video. Um, a special young lady that laughs just like her mother. Miss Callie Murray, happy birthday. We appreciate everything you do. Your family loves you, and we appreciate everything that you're doing um, serving this church in God's will, and we love you. Thank you. Um, if there's nothing else, let's go to the Lord prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good. We fail you constantly, and we do not deserve your love, but you love us anyway. You find beauty in our brokenness. We lift all these names and more up to you. Let your healing guidance wash over us. Please be with us this week as we go out and serve in your name with joy and confidence and love and do all this in the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.